Hello, and welcome to Can't Make This Shit Up. I'm Cassie, a true crime enthusiast. Now, Mark, her dad, a true crime professional, a retired traffic homicide detective from South Florida. And we hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everybody. Today, we once again have a special guest, my husband, Logan. Oh, he's special. All right. Yeah. I'm here so I don't get fined. (laughs) So many of you have requested that uh, Logan come back on. So I finally gave in and he is here once again. Yeah, you gave in. Say hi. Hi. And not only... Well, we get him for one episode. He's actually going to be with us for two because this is going to be a two-parter. Nope, that's not what I signed up for. I'm serious. I don't get fined. So because I knew that you'd be on this week, I chose a case that quite literally hits us close to home. It's the case of serial killer Thor Nice Christensen. Oh, my. So this case was actually suggested to Logan by a friend of ours. So when she found out I had a true crime podcast, she told Logan that uh, we should cover this serial killer. Interestingly, this serial killer grew up in none other than good old Solvang, California. Wow. I got the majority of my information for this case from an episode of Born to Kill entitled Thor Nice Christensen, as well as several news articles, which, of course, I will link in the show notes, as usual. Thor Nice Christensen was born in Denmark on December 28, 1957, to a hardworking father named Nice and his wife, Anne-Marie. In 1962, when Thor was just five years old, he and his parents, along with two close family friends, emigrated to the United States. They boarded a ship which took them to New York Harbor. From there, the family purchased a car and drove all the way across the country to Los Angeles, California. So initially, they lived in Inglewood. Okay. Where Thor's father, niece, and his friend Thomas worked in a creamery. However, shortly after arriving, the two families decided to move two hours north to none other than good old Solvang, California. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, Solving is where my husband and I live. So my husband was actually born and raised here. Solving is known as the Danish capital of America. So it makes sense that Thor's family would have wanted to move here, being from Denmark. For those of you who've never been, Solving is located in the Santa Ynez Valley, and it's pretty gorgeous. It's surrounded by mountains. And all the buildings, including most of the houses, are built to resemble Danish architecture. So if you've never seen it, it's worth a goog. And um, I'll also post some pics uh, on, on our socials. So. But it was founded by Danish immigrants in 1911. And actually, Logan is a descendant of one of the founding families. So his ties to Solvang go way back. So I also want to give a shout out to my father-in-law, Danny, because I actually, I told him we were covering this case and I asked him a lot of questions about it. So he, uh, he kind of helped me on some of this. So was he, he was familiar with it. He knew the guy. Yeah. He actually knew the guy. I knew of, yeah. Oh, okay. Knew of him. Okay. He didn't go to school with him. This guy was a little bit younger, but yeah, Solving's a pretty small town. So 
pretty much everybody knows everybody. Right. Logan actually knows a few people who dated him, dated him and went to school with him and all that sort of stuff. So, oh, my. okay. So, anywho, once the Christiansons moved to Solving, Nice leased a restaurant known as Margaret and Paul's, where he and his wife served authentic Danish cuisine. Years later, he and his wife purchased a second restaurant, which they named the Danish Maid. So, Logan, do you remember ever hearing about that restaurant? Maybe the Danish maid, I think. It's no longer there, but I took the liberty of asking your dad about it because I wanted to figure out where where exactly it was located when it was, you know, open. So uh, it was not easy to find, actually. I had to do a lot of Googling. I had to do a lot of uh, Google Maps, but I figured out where it used to be. It's where the Dowdle Gallery is now. So it's actually an art gallery that you've been into a lot and I've been yeah. into before. So that used to be the Danish made the restaurant that his parents owned. Nice location. Little little did you know where we've been walking through there that uh, we, we walked the path of a serial killer. Wow. Is that one of the, uh, on the main drag there, the main street in uh, yeah. on Mission? It's on Mission? Okay. It's not on Mission. It's, it's right oh. off of First. Okay. Okay. It's first in, it's on the corner of First in Copenhagen. But um, so if anyone's familiar with the area or, or you ever come to visit, okay. you can search it out. Oh. According to Thor's former friend, Ron Bender, quote, his parents had a very, very nice restaurant. You know, his parents were very nice. Thor was very nice. We always, you know, played together. But then as we started getting into like sixth, seventh grade, well, he was finding small animals at first and he'd just step on them and kill them. Ugh. And then I think we were in maybe sixth, seventh grade. We had a butterfly net but he'd catch sparrows and bullfrogs. And I'm not sure where he got the firecrackers, but he would tape them to these animals and then he'd let the birds go and they would explode and kill the bird. Same with the bullfrog. Wow. Okay. He seems like a sweetheart. Yeah. Huge red flag. I feel like that's serial killer 101. That's like what you look out for. That is that. Yeah. That's absolutely part of the profile that almost all serial killers had some type of killing or, mutilating of of small animals as you know in their younger years so according to another of thor's childhood friends his name is guy mailer thor's violent nature was inherited from his father he recalled quote his dad wasn't real nice to him his dad was a hardcore alcoholic and he was a pretty mean guy and he beat up on thor so his friend guy is an interesting character he, he's in this documentary and they never bring it up, like they they never ask him about it. But he shows up to the interview with a huge black eye and a baseball cap pulled down low. And as we go on, we'll we'll hear a lot from Guy. But Guy, you could tell he he's he's lived he's lived a life. He's a little rough around the edges as well. Yeah, and he's you could just <laughs> tell like he'd have some stories for you. Okay. Despite Thor's father's violent nature, he was known to spoil Thor with material things. According to another childhood friend, Norman Scow, quote, he was fairly spoiled, you know. He had an Audi. You know, who has an Audi at 16? And I think part of that was because his parents worked very hard to run their restaurants. So he was kind of like, you know, they dropped some money on his dresser and he was off to do his own thing. So it sounds kind of like he had very little supervision. Yeah, there was probably not a lot of parental involvement. Sounds like he was a spoiled little shit. Well, Yeah. Well, that, yeah. And I think, you know, back then there, you know, times were different. You Kids really weren't supervised as closely as they are today, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. They were able to probably go and like I used to do when I was younger, spend the day out, you know, the whole time. And my parents wouldn't know where the hell I was until I got home. So I like how you say when you were younger, that happened here all the damn time. Don't come back until the, the streetlights are on. Oh, okay. So you experienced that because Cassie did not when she was growing up. So, well, I can see why I get, I can see how, because Cassie doesn't even like answering the door right now. So, Hey, no one will ever accuse me of not being a safe gal. Okay. <laughs> I don't answer the door unless I know who it is. And even then sometimes I don't answer. Okay. No, I know you make me do it. His friend Ron also recalled, quote, my mother never liked to wear Christians in. My mother always said, I don't like the look of that kid. I don't like him, Ronnie. Okay. By other accounts, not Ron's mother's, but others. Thor was a good kid growing up. He helped his parents in the restaurant and performed well in school. However, there were some signs of Thor's psychopathic nature. Ron also told Born a Killer, quote, As we got into seventh and eighth grade, every morning at recess, after we'd finished playing basketball, Thor would kick my basketball across the yard, and I'd have to go get it, and I'd be late to class. Thor was just not a very nice person. He was fine, and then all of a sudden, he'd snap, and he'd just be mean and nasty, and I don't know why. I don't know why it tickles me, like, fuck your basketball. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny, because it's like, especially that's your friend, like, what the fuck, man? He probably got his ass kicked in basketball. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't sound like a very nice guy. I don't know why these guys are friends with him. Despite Thor's propensity for violence, he was very intelligent and performed well in school. According to Stanley Roden, the attorney who would later prosecute him, quote, he was a very good student and extremely bright, but somewhere along the way in junior high school or so, his grades started to plummet and he got involved with drugs or whatever. He gained a tremendous amount of weight. He went up to 275 pounds at one point. According to his childhood friend Guy, so this is the guy that's a little rough around the edges with the black guy. Right. Guy with the black guy. Thor's weight gain drastically affected his self-esteem. He told Born to Kill, quote, basically back then, you know, me and all the guys at that age, you know, were all chasing skirts. And so being in his physical shape, it's kind of hard for him to get girls. So I know that bothered him a lot. Also, Thor had been born with a lazy eye. So that also affected his self-esteem. Oh, my. <laughs> so, so this guy, he, you know, he's gay. He, he's been smoking the ganja a little too much. He's gaining a lot of weight. And then on top of that, the poor guy, he's got a lazy eye. So none of the oh. girls want anything to do with him. But everyone keeps saying he had a great personality. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I would kick uh, basketball as well. It's all making sense now. <laughs> Thor's drinking problem grew worse once he got to high school. According to his friend Guy, quote, his mom would always bring him $20. First thing we'd do is go get a fifth of scotch and he'd get a pack of cools and he'd have a couple shots before class. So he started out his day with a few cocktails before we'd even get into class. You guys didn't do that either? Wow. I I thought that was the normal thing. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely did not do that. I'm sorry. This guy's entertaining. Well, you know, this part is kind of entertaining until we get into the gruesome stuff that's not so entertaining. But I can just see this kid walking around with a fucking fifth of scotch and some cools. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go P.E. here in a minute. <laughs> Despite Thor's intelligence, once Thor became a junior in high school, at good old Santa Ynez Valley High School, so that's Logan's alma mater, Thor began to change even more drastically. He became sullen and moody and eventually began neglecting his schoolwork. Before graduating, Thor moved out of his parents' home and dropped out of school completely. At this point, Thor began working as an attendant at a local gas station. 
God, I hope that wasn't my grandfather's. I was going to say that I thought so his uh, so Logan's grandfather used to own a gas station here in town. So as soon as I read that, I was like, I wonder if he worked for your grandfather. I really hope he did it. <laughs> Unfortunately, he passed away. So we can't really ask him if if he recalled old Thor. We're going to go with no, Scott. He did not. <laughs> in November of 1976, when Thor was only 19, a young 21 year old girl by the name of Jacqueline Rook went missing in Isla Vista. So Isla Vista is a small community right outside of Santa Barbara, which is about 40 miles southwest of Solvang. Isla Vista is unique in that it's a community surrounded by wetlands, and it contains the student housing for nearby University of California, Santa Barbara. So interestingly, it's pretty much only populated by college students for the most part. So one of Thor's future victims, she had a college friend named John Zuber, So he recalled attending school at UCSB in the 70s, saying, quote, it was also a very active time creatively. People wanted to meet in the park and juggle. A lot of music, a lot of theater stuff going on. There was a lot of optimism. So, yeah, apparently they had a a lot of fun in the park back in the 70s. Well, 70s was a time of creativity and free love. And I know I really missed my moment, especially in California. They were just tripping balls. They were doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm sure they were. John definitely didn't mention that, but probably. Of course. So I guess back in those days, it was really popular within the campus culture to juggle with your friends. So we'll we'll hear a lot about juggling as it goes on. And I know that that's weird, but I'm just telling you, apparently it was popular back in the day. <laughs> Do you look up to see what juggling really means or? No, 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 no. It's literal juggling. Oh, come on. Oh, man. Overweight, lazy eyed. No, 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 no. Thor doesn't juggle. I'm saying oh. juggling was popular on campus. Oh, okay. Remember, Thor's not a student there. Okay. Gotcha. He didn't even graduate high school. Yeah. So another of Jacqueline's college friends, her name was Harriet Eckstein. She explained to Born a Killer that hitchhiking back then was also a part of the culture. She stated, quote, hitchhiking wasn't this horrible, evil thing that a few people did. A lot of people hitched because that was the only way they could get around. Students didn't have cars. John agreed, saying, quote, hitchhiking was pretty common practice at the time, even though we were always told it was dangerous, especially for young women to be hitchhiking. So as you can tell, hitchhiking's definitely going to play a role here. Mm hmm. Jacqueline had been last spotted sitting on a bench at a busy intersection on the outskirts of Isla Vista. Before leaving her dorm, she told a friend that she was going shopping. When she didn't return for 24 hours, the police grew concerned. As it was a college campus at a time before cell phones, students were frequently reported missing, but usually they returned within a 24-hour period. However, Jacqueline never returned. About Jacqueline's disappearance, Harriet recalled, quote, there was, I think, sort of a collective gasp and speaking from my own experience, thinking, you know, I'm 22 years old. This is something that happens on television. This is something that happens somewhere else. It doesn't happen in Little Isla Vista. It doesn't happen at UCSB. Upon investigating, police were sure that Jacqueline had been abducted. However, it was anyone's guess as to where Jacqueline was now. Only two weeks later, in December of 1976, another student, 19-year-old Marianne Saris, who went by the name of Mary, went missing. Mary was last seen at the corner of Patterson Avenue and Hollister Avenue in Goleta, 
which is a city directly outside of Isla Vista. The intersection is located right near the Goleta Valley Cottage Hospital. Because she'd been a known hitchhiker at the time, the intersection had been a popular hitchhiking spot. Police assumed she'd been hitchhiking when she was kidnapped. At 4.30 p.m. the day she disappeared, Mary had had an appointment at the hospital. According to a former police sergeant, Mike Kirkman, quote, it's highly probable she left the hospital and came out to this intersection and caught a ride. So within a two-week period, you have Jacqueline who went missing. She still hasn't been found. And then two weeks later, Marianne goes missing. Okay. In only two weeks, two women from the college community had mysteriously gone missing. Even more strangely, many people took note of the fact that both Jacqueline and Mary very closely resembled one another. Both were young and beautiful with a slim build and long, straight hair. Jacqueline's friend Harriet recalled, quote, When Jackie disappeared, that was one. And in some ways, it was almost easy to dismiss it as a one-time thing. When Mary disappeared, now this was something. And then the fear level was definitely up. It wasn't some bad part of town. It was in our own community. We were also scared because it was this stranger danger thing. You know, who was this guy? Nobody had any clue. We had no idea. And there was a feeling that we're being targeted or it's here. It's not just somebody passing through. People were really scared and they thought it was somebody perhaps in their midst. Despite investigators' persistence in investigating the two cases, there were virtually no leads to go on and the police weren't any closer to locating the two missing girls. Meanwhile, students were banding together to push for better bus routes in the area, as many students hitchhiked because they were unable to get around by bus after a certain time. A protest was even organized at the local bus station, where students held up signs which read, quote, don't make us hitchhike, not safe no more, and, quote, night service on all bus routes, and finally, quote, stop violence against women. One of the students pushing for these changes was a 21-year-old actress who loved to juggle by the name of Patricia Laney. A close friend of hers, John Zuber, spoke of her saying, quote, Patty was a really smart, bright person. And when I say a bright person, she could brighten up a room by walking into it. And she could brighten up a meeting or brighten up a rehearsal. She smiled a lot. She was very active in a lot of different community organizations, whether it was the credit union that we formed or the food cooperative, or the medical clinic. A lot of people knew her. She was very active in the community. At the time, Patty was rehearsing a show which John was also in. However, on January 18, 1976, only six weeks after Mary's disappearance, Patty also went missing. Incredibly, Patty had gone missing while she'd been distributing missing persons flyers for Jackie and Mary. Wow, Jesus. Isn't that crazy? On the same street corner, which Mary had vanished from. So that's a target area. Ain't that some shit? <laughs> well, it's just wild that she was trying to help find these two missing victims and, you know, was kind of spearheading this, let's, you know, put up flyers and right. then she goes missing. Yeah. In the same spot too. <laughs> yeah. One of the members of the theater group Patty was in had agreed to pick her up, but he arrived late and Patty was nowhere to be found. However, unlike the previous two victims, Patty would be found the following day. Oh, okay. A newly instated police officer was patrolling Refugio Road just below former United States President Ronald Reagan's property. So Ronald Reagan has a big ranch out there known as Rancho de Cielo. Okay. 
at this time, it, it basically was right off of this road called Refufio Road. So this patrol officer, he stops his police cruiser on one of the turnouts to kind of admire the view. And he looked over the side of the embankment and to his horror saw a body lying in the ravine. When investigators arrived, they noted that the body was that of a young woman and she'd been stripped nude. Her clothing and backpack were found approximately eight-tenths of a mile from where her body had been dumped. The body was eventually identified as that of Patty Laney, who'd gone missing just the day before. Hmm. Her friend John remembered receiving the news that Patty's body had been found, stating, quote, You know it's weird when you have a friend, and we're there rehearsing twice a week, and then all of a the sudden, they're just not there anymore. They're gone. An autopsy revealed that Patty had been shot once in the side of the head with a twenty-two caliber pistol and had been raped following her death. Ugh. Yeah. yeah this this is pretty fucked up, I'm not going to lie. All right. The section of Refugio Road where Patty had been found was remote, so investigators believed that after killing Patty, the perpetrator had simply driven to the turnout and dumped her body over the side. Despite the callousness of the murderer's actions, it did provide police with a clue. Only a local would be familiar with that area of Refugio Road. I wish you would just say Refugio since it's spelled with a G. I know you want to say Fufufufufuyo. It's Refugio. <laughs> That's how it's pronounced. Uh, trust me, it's annoying. Like the G is silent and there's like an invisible F. I don't get it. Well, Californians just like to make up a lot of different Okay. Like, for for example, they don't say T's. So instead of it being San, it's supposed to be Santa Yanez, but they say San Yanez. Yeah, it's stupid, too. Anyway, only a local would be familiar with that area of Refugio Road, leading investigators to believe that the murderer was definitely a local who was familiar with the area. Luckily, the perpetrator had also left another clue nearby. The police found discarded restaurant paper towels near the body. Incredibly, investigators were able to process these paper towels and found Patty's fingerprints in her own blood, as well as several unknown fingerprints who they assumed must be the murderers. On the paper towels? Yeah. Wow. This also led investigators to believe that the murderer had shot Patty while she sat in his vehicle, and he then pushed her out of the vehicle and over the embankment. But because he'd shot her in the vehicle, he'd gotten blood inside and had used these paper towels to clean up his car and then threw all of the napkins out of his car as well. Okay. However, despite this exciting find, Sergeant Mike stated, quote, Remember, fingerprints do no good unless you have someone to compare them to. This person had never been arrested, so there were no fingerprints on file. And so we had evidence that would say who did it, but we didn't have a way to find out who they belonged to. Harriet Eckstein described to Born to Kill what it was like on campus following the discovery of Patty's body, saying, quote, Patty was one of the people who was very active when the other two women had disappeared. Patty was the one who started making flyers and getting the word out and looking at protests and demonstrations. And she became a victim. So that, I think, that added another layer of fear for all of us. If it can happen to Patty, somebody who's aware, then truly it can be any of us. So that was terrifying. However, the case was about to get even more terrifying when following the discovery of Patty's body, a terrifying message was found scrawled across a wall in one of the UCSB campus restrooms. The message read, quote, I killed those girls, one, two, and three, but you have them, too fat for me. 
I'm looking for something a little more pretty. Beware. And it was signed Spider. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the killer fancied himself a poet. Do you say so? Yeah. So this is where part one is going to end. Okay. But pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah, Spider. Coming for you. Yeah, I was like, he must have read too many Agatha Christie novels growing up. And and like the fat shame, the, the dead girls, like, damn. Well, if you think about it, that honestly makes sense. Because he is so insecure about being fat. Right. Because, you know, he's overweight and he's insecure about that. Yeah. I'll forget the lazy eye. Well, that too. And he's, <laughs> you know, so he's putting that onto the victims. Right, right. Hmm. Okay. We do have a question. So I asked all the listeners to submit some questions for Logan. Oh, shit. So thank you to everybody who submitted questions. We got quite a few. It's 11 inches soft. Next question. Ew. <laughs> Joke. Edit that out. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so this question is from Regina. Hi, Regina. Regina, thank you for listening. Regina asked, are you ever concerned that your true crime enthusiast wife and her ex-cop father could just make you disappear if you ever get out of line? I literally have notes all over the house hidden that says, if I'm missing, she did it. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. He's preparing for the worst. I guess we got to burn the house down. Well, yeah, that's true. We'll just burn it all. (laughs) Burn it to the ground. Regina, I hope that that answered your question. (laughs) Oh, that was easy. <laughs> he he thinks about it daily and he's worried about it. So next question. <laughs> well, that's on, there's only one per episode, baby. I'm only going to be on like one or two episodes. So, Right. So there's going to be one on this episode and one on next episode. Next time you got to fire them all at me. There's people that want to know stuff. So it's, this is it. After, after this, I'm retiring. Oh, OK. We'll see about that. All right. Well. Um, we will pick up the story of Thor Christensen on our next episode, which my lovely husband will be back for annoying me to death. That's uh, Thor the Spider Christensen. Get it right. <laughs> well, all right, hold on now, because we we don't we haven't finished the story yet, so we don't know <laughs> we don't know yet that we can't confirm that Spider that he wrote that. <laughs> that's true. You're so, you're right. You'd never know. That's right. Oh man. Because these stories never, they don't always go the way you think they're going to go, so. That's true. I, you know, I I try to throw in a a little razzle-dazzle here and Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. The razzle-dazzle fumble-rooski. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Fumble-rooski. Okay. Must Mm -hmm. be a California thing. That is uh, from Little Giants, and uh, you should watch it. It's the greatest Don't know what that is. Little Giant? How dare you? I made Cassie watch it the other day. It's got Rick Moranis and Ed O'Neill. It's great. I uh, was unimpressed. I was unimpressed. Uh, because you don't know what good movies are. Okay. Watch a watch a little movie called Strange Brew and get back to me. <laughs> if you like Rick Moranis. <laughs> I've never seen that either, but that I'll probably like it. You'll like it, Logan. It's about beer. Oh, I've seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I used to watch his show back in the day. All right. Well, until then, I know you guys are on the edge of your seat. I'm sorry to make you wait another a whole nother week but it just gets crazier and crazier that's all I, I know i feel like i say that every every single episode we have but it's true <laughs> the spider's coming the spider he's uh he's gonna come back before he's squished and trust me he is squished 
And he's squished in the best way, actually. So it's it's well worth the wait. All right. He's squished by a woman, which oh my. gotta love that. You know, it's funny too is I'm I'm gonna see a, an individual that used to date him back in the day. Very very short period of time. Uh, come Monday. Wow. Maybe maybe we convince uh, we can convince her to come on and do I a little it. interview. <laughs> she's she's she, it's something she's not proud about. <laughs> it's okay. We could we could give her a a fake uh, alias, and no one will know. Uh, All right. Well, until next week. Bye. bye. Later. <laughs>